This week, we're starting a deep dive on the most important thing a barrel racer needs to be successful in a competition, great ground. In the first of hopefully a trio of episodes with some of the most knowledgeable tractor men in the game, we had the opportunity to talk with Jake Van of the Wilderness Circuit and Blackhawk Arena of Salina, Utah. Kayla got the chance to ask Jake his thoughts behind what it takes to make an arena the best it can be. Ground is much more complicated than simply running a tractor over a patch of dirt as you'll hear in this episode. We hope you share this with all your barrel racing friends. Knowledge is key to success with any barrel racing ground. This week's episode is brought to you by the REM mask from Expert Equine. The REM mask helps horses sleep under artificial lights that stay on in vet clinics and big event stall barns. Visit xpertequine.com and hear more at the commercial break. If you haven't listened to our newest segment, The Rundown on Monday mornings, be sure to check them out and visit our friends at BarrelRacing.com who help make that happen. Let's kick it over to Jake and Kayla. This is The Money Barrel. This is going to be a very eye-opening and educational podcast. I'm so excited. I have Jake Van here with me and I'm going to call him one of the ground gurus of the Utah and wilderness circuit area. Um, Jake has works at the Blackhawk arena in Salina, one of my favorite pens that I can trust the ground on. I know that you've dealt a lot with the rodeos and, and you care a lot about the ground. So thank you so much for giving me a little bit of time this morning. Thanks. Appreciate it. So tell us, I guess let's just get started. So, I mean, I, I can call you a ground guru because I, I know of you and, and my friends speak highly of you. But what is it about working ground or what got you to care so much about barrel racing ground? You know, it's my wife's had a lot of money up against it, uh, you know, to factor in the safety measure of good ground and the preparation it takes to do so. You have one to five maturity horses running on that ground and you might be on one you know in the first five and you might be on the second one in the last 50 of the maturity and you know you didn't outright them to not get a check you they got out road and the ground was the thing that allowed that and it's frustrating to sit there in the stands and not be proactive to you know go to that next level so by baptism of fire uh I don't even remember the first tractor I drove, to be honest with you. It might have been at the Legacy Center in Farmington. That's not even a horse arena anymore, but I'm just kind of getting burned constantly <laughs> by people's opinions. But you learn by every mistake, just like anything else in life, that you do this or you don't do that and, and move on. And, and that's how it's evolved. I think probably over 30 years i mean i've, I've been wow. on tractor since chrissy started so i've, I've been a, at least 30 because i'm that old so um, do you but, mainly did you start at like barrel racing jackpots do you do a lot of rodeos and outdoor stuff like what what type of arenas do you deal with or do you deal with them all so i was trying to when you contacted me on this um i know i've done the ground for a lot of different futurities and jackpots uh I've done a lot for Lana Parker and Megan Lewis and rodeos and I've done the Blackhawk at several different things and work with other tractor guys, uh, you know, to form your opinions with those guys by trial and error. I'm Drew Crane, uh, Gary Adams, of course, Neil Merrill has been a definite uh, ace in the hole to always be able to phone call and, you know, try and work a problem out mid-flight in the middle of a race without really changing things drastically for the better or the worse. But um, Randy Sprague, and I've just gotten familiar with Randy over the last you know, year or so, and him and I have talked shop several times. Uh, he, he, it, it's just it's a measure that needs to be appreciated on every level of, of basically on horse disciplines, not just barrel racing, but... Mm -hmm they're all factoring in the safety and the success measures to efforts made in the ground to be uh, improved from yesterday, I guess you'd say. I don't really know how to word that better than that, but uh, there, there's just so many opinions involved and some are crucial to the success and others are the definite to failure. So you, you got to choose and 
have the wisdom, I guess, to know who's got a valid opinion that you're going to go forward with or one to just turn the mute button on and keep moving forward. So, Right. Well, you know, and, and when I thought about this podcast, I've been a producer for the Colorado Classic for 10 years. We've had four different yeah. arenas. Um, you know, yep. we kind of talked a little bit. And, and before that, I mean, I was a barrel racer. I could tell you what I thought when I rode my horse, but I had yep. no idea what it took to actually prepare the ground. And, you know, I'm sure, especially for how long you've done it, you've had arenas where you thought it was prepared right. And then horses start running and you're like, oh, whoa, like, you know, yeah. it's just, it is a lot to actually manage. And then talking to a couple of friends, it's kind of bewildering. Um, I guess maybe not bewildering, but like, I think a lot of barrel races are in the same, same point to where they have an idea in their head of what good ground is, but they can't tell you how to how to fix it. They can't tell you what actually exactly. might go into it. So that's kind of my goal and hopes for this podcast is, you know, we're going to talk about everything, implements, moisture, soil types, you know, all of it. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, if you're listening to this, you can maybe share with a producer, you know, um, you know, rodeo committees, right. like everybody can just learn. So let's dive in to the implements you like to use best and the good and the bad of what your choice is. So I was trying to put a list together. You and I talked about that. Um, oh my gosh. I started with a Parma arena groomer and okay it platformed quickly to a rotivator harrow and all these different measures. Then along came, I, I drove the Kaiser quite a bit. Uh, of course the whip, the four and one, the reveal four and one. And, and still we have a few races that still implement those. Um, TR threes work well. Uh, ironically, everybody has an opinion of the implement, but in, in reality, after visiting with Neil, Neil Merrill's phenomenal when he gets he gets the measures of you know what that ground needs and and how we need to get there. Uh, Matt Shazawa's dad was prepping the ground for Logandale one year. I don't know if you've ever ran a Logandale, but it's a sand dune, and they put two or three loads of water on that ground, and it was like running on a beach on the Pacific Ocean. And I'm looking at it going, holy hell, this is not going to work at all. This is going to be a train wreck. Well, out comes Matt's dad, Ken and fills a pipe, a 24-inch pipe that's welded at a 90-degree behind a backhoe. He pulls it in the arena, fills the whole thing up with water, and goes around the arena like he would a regular implement and seals that water into that compacted, wet sand. The survey comes out and gives us a clinic, runs a 17-1 on a sand dune, and I'm thinking, how in the hell did this gal just figure that out? But yeah. it wasn't her. It was Kent Shazauer saying, all this ground is a sand, so the only thing you can do is wet the hell out of it, and it worked. And yeah. so the next person's like, oh, yeah, the ground kicked ass. I'm like, well, yeah, but why did it kick ass? And they're like, well, I don't know. I, I, all I know is my horse worked good. And you have to really break those situations down and find out. If you put that much water on soils other than sand, all you're going to have is a huge liability issue and negligence on the tractor guy to where he'll probably never be allowed into the arena again. Yeah. And it was all because someone didn't have a, you know, a, a base of a wisdom based opinion on what they should do up front, but you got to have an open mind on that aspect and really be willing to take a chance without being unsafe or reckless about it. Do you feel like I, the implements, yeah. like each implement works a little bit better in a type of ground or absolutely, is it just absolutely. depending on how to use the implement or well, both? So like, there, there is an unbelievable education level uh, that comes with. We have widows at the at the Blackhawk, and they're, and they they work great, but people have no idea. We changed uh, we changed Burley's ground. They ran sub seventeens slack and all the perfs this year. Caldwell the same. Caldwell never even broke down. They they usually have to stop slack, work the ground again, go deeper, and rerun everybody, and they're pissed. Well, the difference with, like, Burley, we raised the cut bar on that widow one sex, one three-eighths of an inch up to allow a whole different measure of flow for the ground to go through this implement. The whole committee had never even heard that that moves, and those different measures of the widow entirely changed. I mean, they were in 17 O's 
on a full set at the high school rodeo at Burley this year. Wow. And it was all, it, they didn't do anything different but change the way they worked their ground with the same implement. They just had a, a different perspective of how to work it and how to get there. And they haven't looked back a bit. And it, it, to run 17 0s at a barrel race for high school rodeo, not that they're chumps by no measure, but yeah. you don't see that very often at a high school rodeo. So it, it's, it's just having perspective and an open mind at the same time and, you know, willing to learn and, and just do things with a different perspective all the time. Let's, let's talk about black widows and only because I know you use them at Salina and that's what we yeah. use at my race. And by no means are we, I mean, we're going to ha- talk more about reveal foreign ones and all the types. Like we're not sure. advertising or talking about, about anything, but no. there, I feel like black widows are used a lot in our area. I'm in Colorado and there is a big bunch of people in Texas in the South that hate them, that despise them yeah. and that do not want to go to a race with a black widow. What do you think is like the, the key parts that producers might miss when they're using a black widow to make the ground good? Or like, what do you think is like something that people need to know if they're going to use these type of implements? I could say, if I had to summarize that to uh, a basic form of success, depth, prep, and by all means, moisture. Yeah. I have seen people with widows that have got the ground worked perfectly, but they allow the rippers to go deep for too long, so they install air all the way to the bottom of the ground. Neil set that widow up to do a refined or a more advanced version of the same thing that a 4-in-1 did with a little bit more uh, design engineering, but everybody wants to go down deep at, that the widows can do. And they, and uh, like a lot of the Texans, we've gotten arguments. Uh, Danielle Campbell is a, a good personal friend of mine. And uh, we've, we've FaceTimed several times to fix her widow at her house in Texas over, over the phone. And I'm like, you guys have got to understand the concept of the widow, which is very extensive in the extraction panel that comes with every black widow when they buy them. But I don't know how many people really relate to it, mm-hmm. but they'll, they'll drive to wear them teeth out. And in reality, you go down as deep as you can on your prep with the widow and then bring that teeth, those teeth right back up. And so it sustains something to always be lower than what that last horse out on the ground can get to. The problem with it is, is that they install too much air without enough moisture. The compaction allows them to go deep in the ground after the second or third girl. And by the fifth girl out on a five drag, they're already to the pan where if you set it up correctly, you should never get to that pan. I mean, okay. you know, things happen and, and we're damn sure not scientific about it to that level, but that's the facts. I mean, it's yeah. phenomenal, but it, the, the widow is an unbelievable tool, but it's like having a, you know, like I, I refer to them like a set of tools. You can have the best set of tools in the world, but if you don't know how to use that rocket set, it's nothing but a hammer to you. And it's the same with a widow. If you if you don't know how to use it and how to get there and bring it back and forth, you might as well be dragging around a harrow because it's you're not educated enough to improve it in that you know that realm of what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's a great point, and we've really had to work with that. You know. And I think a lot of people don't realize necessarily, depending on your arena, I mean, you might have a local arena like the Blackhawk that has jackpots all the time. It's probably sure. slightly easier to keep it in good shape consistently. Versus I've, I've put on my race, I used to go to an outdoor pen that I was one of the only barrel races of the year. So we showed up the day before and we had to completely prep the ground. So, you know, you're spending, I and, and we used to have it in a covered arena too, where you'd show up the day before. And I mean, for eight hours, my tractor yep. guys were breaking hard pans, going both ways, watering, <laughs> putting it together, breaking them again, you know, and like you can only do what you can do. But we learned that with the widow is that, you know, you have to sink those teeth Break yep. that hard pan multiple ways, all kinds of yep. directions, lift yep. them up, water, and then seal it at like, yep. you know, wherever you're out. I think we ran it at like four this year, but, you know, seal that top so you had some base, but then could go down under. Um, but, you know, if you're a producer and listening to that, we had the water to be able to seal it. So I, that totally makes sense in the way that you put it is that if you get it so deep and I've run in those pens where these black widows are sunk down 
and then not watered and then it is yeah. it is like a hard pan because you you hit the bottom at the end so that's a really good point yeah this air is you've got your moisture your depth and your air and those three things in the perfect mixture the perfect percentage of each one of them eliminates the questions of compaction and air deeper than it should if you neil has a great one he's like neil he'll he'll be bird dogging uh you know right here at the blackhawk and, and he'll call me or text me and say jake you're not there's no clod coming so if if you go down eight inches and you're ripped both ways north south east and west and then you roll it at a six seal it at a two here comes the barrel race they start running them three drags out if you're not seeing dirt clods come out of that roller on that widow mm-hmm. at the blackhawk those clods are is what's upsetting your hard pan and keeping it down deep and creating that third or secondary texture when you don't take those rippers down and upset that every so often that's how that hard pan establishes itself especially with the right water mixture because of course water is going to seal out the air from getting there and creates the hard pan even faster so it's something you've got to be able to kind of bird dog and and see drag to drag Mm -hmm. but uh i mean but there again, just in, in argument's sake, the widow, I don't know if I could say, I don't know of an implement that would uh, be used in so many different types of ground, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the biggest problem is they say, oh, our, our ground just balls up. I'm like, well, with that widow, you should buy a moisture meter. Uh, I don't go anywhere without moisture meters because you've got to have something uh metaphorically i guess you'd use it i, I call it my bible because you know this is never going to change your your sweet spot to this arena and being successful is a, a, a seven and and i can run sevens all day long on my moisture at blackhawk but in oakley's pro rodeo arena our sweet spot up there was a nine okay. my hell if i had a nine in, in blackhawk i'd want to cancel the race because there is no one going to have a successful run at a nine in the moisture here but it's all day long in oakley so that again is you just got to have time to prep and talk to the people that work the ground all the time and trial and error and all that stuff and it's become that level to our sport to where it's it's a huge factor i mean in, in most regards good ground is more important than the added money of the race if right. the ground sucks no one's gonna enter the good horse yeah so i mean it, it's irrelevant almost the ground is the most important thing of a barrel race and it's getting that way in team roping especially with the, the roping faturities now Rain cow horse. I mean, it, it, we could go on for miles on that on that topic as well. So let's talk about moisture and soil types because it took me a while to like be able to look at arena and kind of think of a clay or a sand or a yep. sandy loam or the percentages. So kind of break down when you get to an arena and you evaluate. Like, talk about the soil types and then what type of moisture you need to get like the best out of that. You know. I'd give this all day long. Randy Spragan and I were talking. There is no one that knows uh, to get extremely technical. Prismatic structure is how those types of soils, sands, clays, they all adhere and, and work together. There's no one that knows it better than Drew Crane. Uh, he, he's phenomenal with the soil types and how to get that soil type there. And it's because he's drove 10 million circles over the last 30 years with their events. So, I have to respect his opinion first and foremost. They understand it. Randy Spragan understands it. I get it by experience, uh, but there's always someone smarter. There's always someone else to go to uh, for your, you know, your opinion or how to solve that problem. But we have about a, we probably have a, right now I'd call it a, maybe a sixty forty sand and clay in the Blackhawk. Okay. Uh, but but our outdoor arena is at best fifty fifty. But not only is it, it's not, the wash sands down deep where we can't really get it, we've got a ground in our covered arena that I could put a load of water and drench that thing to mud, and in two hours there's dust on the top of it. So you, you just got to have a. I, I'm not a fan of our ground in our warm up arena. It's a, just a constant battle to keep that there. But there's other arenas. Well, Colorado and Montrose. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty close measure to what we have at the Blackhawk, in my opinion. Yeah, but working it there versus working it here, there's a there's an ambient and a radiant temperature that comes into factor. The implement you use it, the amount of water, the depth of prep, the depth of working, and the depth of consistency per run per drag. 
So we could talk about it all day long, but honestly, it comes under a consultation value because every ground is entirely different. Yep. And when, so in, you know, you talked about Logandale, the arenas that have more sand in them are the ones yeah. that need a lot more water to try to keep it together. And so it, your friend. it doesn't wash out versus a more clay or, um, is, is there another, like, is, is all dirt clay other than sand? Like, I think that probably sounds like a stupid question, but like, are there different types of dirt that like work with oh, yeah. water differently? Yeah. You've, I mean, you've got your, your granule, uh, the difference between a, a riverbank sand and a mason sand. Uh, mason sand is a, is a washed, man-made sand. It's through the crusher fines of a gravel pit, where if you get a, a sandy loam off the ditch or off the riverbank that they dredged, you get a, a mixture there that's, depending on the ratio of the mountains above the river you're getting it out of, what, you know, what constitutes entire sand is a washed sand where you yeah. put that alone into your own ground well then you come into there's a guy in if i'm if i remember right in iowa uh randy spragan I, I got the ground i did the ground at the dixie classic this year and he randy he, i think he was at the i want to say he was at the american in fort worth and uh he couldn't be there but he sent this ground sample to a guy in iowa that's his man for doing this thing he didn't change the ground at all what he did is he had he had added a sulfate in uh gallons per or gallons per thousand gallons in the water truck and they drenched that ground with the uh i can't remember if it's alu aluminum or some type of sulfate and uh it, uh it made us to where the clay could not adhere to the sand which almost eliminates the hard pan over a period of time oh wow and I, i'm paraphrasing there because that again that's a that's a whole nother uh, level of ground but I mean Randy's he knows where to, to outsource that because this guy is a, a guru to beat all but uh, Randy knows how to work the ground how to get it there but this guy told him the chemical and the prep that he needed to take place to get it there for the Dixie Classic and, and we did good on the ground I think the ground will be phenomenal this year uh, but it was just too much too soon or you know too late rather mm -hmm. we just didn't get enough time on that ground to prep it but after a period of time, that's going to be awesome ground as well. So for, I mean, that is even a level of like, I, I haven't even dealt with, but it makes <laughs> sense because I mean, I've been in an arena where it yep. was more clay and we had an issue with it compacting, um, yep. four or five runs deep and getting slick. So we had to drop those teeth yep. a little bit more to keep it work. Plus it was really overly watered. So it like stuck together even more. Sure. Um, but like if a, if a producer shows up and say they don't have access to those type of things, what are some like quick ideas or thoughts on like how to test moisture? Like I know there's the like hold it in your hand, kind of feel it type of, you know, test. Yeah. What are your thoughts yeah. on like that for, for producers, you know, that don't have access to the big stuff? You know, it's not, so everybody goes out and fills the ground and they, if that dirt clawed, you can bounce it in your hand a couple three times and then it finally breaks that's saying your compaction is working mm -hmm. but in in my opinion more than how long that thing lasts bouncing in your hands how hard could you compact that ground before it became a dirt clod that's yeah. that's the amount of air versus water that's involved in the ground and its structure alone so but you've got to be receptive to that stuff and and it's just like any other thing you you go to someone that's just got more experience. Idaho Falls Pro Rodeo, they came to Birdie's ground clinic this year. Those guys are the hardest working grounds crew I've ever seen. Like, they are diligent about it. And they had zero value to Birdie's conception of good ground because their grounds were entirely different. They are literally called Sandy Downs <laughs> at the Idaho Falls Arena. So, of course, they're understanding the value and importance of, of water and all these different things that implement success in Idaho Falls was unbelievable this year. And it was all because they walked into that arena, like you're saying, and said, okay, what does this ground need? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure you've got this being a producer. There's always the guy. He's usually a high school rodeo dad <laughs> that has a sand pit out in back of his house. And he's the one that struts out with his, you know, starch jeans and a know-it-all attitude to tell you how you need to work this ground that you've been working for 10 years. 
because he has a sandbox in his backyard that he knows what ground is and he works it with the Parma. Well, it's hard to be humble and tactful without telling him, just get the hell out of here. All you're doing is wasting my time. But there might be the next guy that comes into that same scenario that's an excavator, that's a, a phenomenal blade hand on a road crew that's like, hey, you're you're compacting this ground way too fast or you know, you need to go deeper and then come back up so you've got substandard down below. It's, it's, it's never textbook. There's not one arena that's the same as the next. And yeah. if everyone understood that before they installed their ego and opinion, we'd probably get along further faster because it's not an arrogance. It's just the fact of, look, I get it. You, you've got a kick-ass arena in the back of your house. I, I'm sure it's awesome, but it has nothing to do with the ground here. Right. And, and that's something that implements, you know, some humility and uh, maybe a little more broad perspective of, hey, this guy looks like a jackass that's doing the ground, but maybe he knows this ground better than I do because I've been here five minutes and he's been here 10 years. So uh, it's, it's, it's hard to not sound arrogant, but a lot of times they're better off to just sit and watch a second before they offer their opinion. Right. I, I went to, uh, where was I at? I was, I can't remember uh it doesn't matter anyway i was at an arena and i was driving the ground it was a while ago and we stopped big drag at 50 and i go over to the producer i'm like what do you think and they're like there's three different girls and two of them are on the pro level make circuit finals every year and there's another girl that's pretty good for charity trainer i don't think she rodeos at all but one says god i feel a little spongy you know just kind of wishy-washy and i'm like what do you think well see i thought it was hard i all my horses couldn't get a hold of it at all and the third one's like, you know what, I, I've got three different horses, and they all run on three different types of ground, so I'm really okay. And I walked away going, oh, what the hell? Why did I even ask for their opinion? I, I, all that did is just confuse this situation even more. How are we going to fix this? And that's usually when you, know, you just back out, shut everybody out, and get a good perspective of what you're really trying to accomplish on that ground. And it might be more depth or less water, more water. Uh, we don't need to do a big drag at 50. Leave it as it is. And I'll, I'll do a mini big drag every 25 without anybody knowing it. There's, there's all those factors that come with just experience, you know, and every grounds guy has had that burn at the stake situation where they just had to back out and hope for the best and plan for the worst. I, I will tell you, I don't think there's anything that stresses me out more in my year than the first 25 of the first round of my fraternity. Because that's when, you know, I, I start stressing about the ground months in advance. Like, it's so irrational. Sure. But, um, I mean, that's, that's the truth. And you have people come up and tell you all these different opinions. And it's like, well, if you listen to one, like, you just, you can't. It's really hard. And we kind of dealt with that this year because um, the, the facility has had a lot more cuttings. So, sure. even though they've sealed the ground and brought in like the sand and then taking it out, the sand has gotten more in the arena. So they sealed it. There was a hard pan. We had to break the hard pan, but then we had to put a bunch of water on top to seal the top because the sand wasn't allowing it to seal like it normally had. So it's like we kind of had to work it both ways. So therefore it was deeper overall, Um, which some people were really mad about. Some people are like, oh, it's too deep. And it's like, but it's really not like it's it's safe and consistent. And I guess let's let's talk about um, what is like the definition of good ground in your mind and what your goal is, because I see a lot of people be like, same thing. Well, they run all these super fast times, but it's because yeah. it's hard and that might not be good for everybody or, you know, arena record setting ground sometimes doesn't necessarily mean it's the best ground depending on where you're at. So, like, what is your thought on what good ground is? So, we have a great textbook just to the north of here, Spanish Fork. Phenomenal pro rodeo. Mm-hmm. Outside temperatures in the middle of summer, usually a big dust cloud storm. That grounds crew keeps that ground sub-17s for four days in a row whether you ran in a morning slack or an evening perf it's awesome to see that level now now good ground can consist of a 16-8 on a full set and that's awesome and hats off to anyone but what's bad is when they run a concert the last two of a four-night rodeo albuquerque is a good example uh they run concerts for if i remember right half the rodeo and 
if you get up on the purse that are before those concert nights, that's usually where all the money's won because the other times, the other nights, the, the whole crowd is out on the ground and they just compact the hell out of that ground and you're running on tile. So good ground, good ground is consistent. And I don't care if it's straight 18 flats on a full set, as long as it's all the way through that rodeo, you kept it consistent. Yeah. Where there's other, and Caldwell's a great example. You know, everybody wanted to draw in the later part of slack so they had the last of their second round in a purse so they had the most average ground to each run Mm -hmm. and those are usually the ones that made it back to the short round and it wasn't nothing to do with the horse that was running it it was the fact that the ground allowed things to be fair and consistent for a period of time and and that's what really factors into a sub 17s i've had horses run sub 17s on my ground I'm, i'm sure every grounds guy has done that but it that's what wasn't what I was ever looking for. Yeah. I wanted a 17-3 all day long of a five-day rodeo. That's good ground. I, and I, I really, like, I value that. And that's kind of what we've stuck with, too, is, like, we had people win the round beginning of the race, fifth out on the drag, and then we had people place top of the ground, last drag out. Like, right, that's what right. our goal is. Even though it might have been a little bit deeper, like, the consistency factor is really big. So let's... Yep. I mean, with that in mind, and I know it varies, but, like, what is the the standard, like, preparation that needs to go into an arena? Like, what do producers need to make sure they're, like, checking the boxes on when they get to a place on a so standard you gotta, race? you, you got to go in. you got to go in and see where your pan is. Okay. First thing you want to do is talk to the last guy that worked this ground, and if he has ego, a lot of times it's, it's an irrelevant opinion. But sometimes you'll meet a guy that, uh, you know, really has a good perspective on it and know this is the, a huge factor in people too. know that any ground with any measurable implement is going to get by with 50 to 75 runners. What really involves a total different game plan is when you go in the upper, you know, to, to a hundred plus runners, um, the depth, your consistency, your moisture, your, your patterns, all those different things. When you go over 50, 75 runners, you're not squeaking by anymore. Like you've got mm-hmm. a huge consistency value that people know to interrupt late at this race and know to be on, you know, pray for the first out in this ground. And it was entirely because of prep and someone not having knowledge of the value of water in that actual soil. Okay, How let's, much water can be there. Let's break it down even more, though. For people that, like, what do you mean when you say find your hard pan? Like, let's do, like, a kindergartner's okay. view. Because at some point, I didn't know this. Like, Okay. So, uh, and the, the widow is kind of, again, we'll use the word Bible. Your widow, if you set it up on pavement and set that thing down in its structure and design, the rippers are entirely to sustain a texture at low ground and by low ground i mean fifth out or tenth out whatever like that Mm -hmm. you've got to go into that arena before it's been watered anything get your depth and what is deep is it a full shovels width deep before you get to pan or is it two inches deep and you're on rain futurity dream Mm -hmm. you've got to see where your depths are before you go in there and scratch any depths at all then you've got to get that thing uh kind of comfortable with your implement you've got to know what its tolerances are that uh, a, a, a huge thing that i always over overlook and we're talking people rip ground at a full eight inches with new rippers on widows and they're still getting hard pan 20 girls out the the thing that's in, interesting to see is say when you rip it at eight are you in third gear listening to the radio and haul ass well yeah i just i gotta get it ripped quick before i go slow i'm like well if you take 10 minutes more on your big drag or your, you know, initial rip, eight inches in first gear and 10 miles an hour, like you're bailing hay, doesn't allow that implement to skip up out of the ground. It's allowing it to stay deep and get textured down below that people don't realize is available there because they're always going faster than they should on their initial rip. The prep, the, the original prep of the ground is slow. You've you got to stay slow and understand your depths and your moisture at that time. So, I mean, that's what we would do. Like we walk in the arena and we dig with our hands to find where the base is, you know, and then we try to measure. And then that, that's what we always do. Cause we're always worried about, 
you know, I'd rather have it deeper and seal it back than have a hard pan five inches under and somebody hit that and fall. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a great point because you see people just hauling through and it's like, sink them down, break it up. And then like, what, what type of pattern do you use when you break the arena? Cause I think that's, this is a really important thing too. I have, and this, this is my own opinion. Mm -hmm. I see no value in a consistent pattern Okay. that all that does is eliminate an upset of texture. If, if you see a ridge developing on the backside of the barrel or a ridge that was there when you started prepping the arena, you've got to cross rip that, get it out of the equation, get that higher low spot eliminated before you start to establish a pattern. There's no pattern to me. I'll, I'll, I'll come into my stop point on my tractor. One day I'll, I'll or one drag I'll point, point south, the following drag I'm pointing north because I come at the first barrel different every time. I'll go clear out the alleyway and back in just to distribute a different angle going to that first barrel common. It, you know, you, you never want to rake the same pattern twice, in my opinion. And some people shoot you down on that, but honestly, I've, I've had the most success with that in the different arenas I've been in. And uh, prep is everything. And it's not so much to get it prepped, but you usually learn the highs and lows of that actual ground between your prep and when you deliver it to that first girl to run on. That's really what measures your success for the rest of the day. Because you've got to remember, those first five girls out, they were wondering as much as you were. But if it's a success, you need to go out there after the third or fourth drag and remember what your moisture was. Remember where your rippers were at. And if you don't see dirt clods coming up in that roller as you're dragging on your fifth drag, you know they're sustaining a compaction down low. Where if your rippers are down there every third or fourth drag, you're always upsetting that texture down low that that pan can't be established. Okay. And like it becomes a scientific measure. Like any grounds guy will do that without argument. I mean, it, it becomes that complex, but that's the way it is. Have you ever slept with the lights on? Could you do it for several nights in a row and still perform at your very best? Have you ever wondered about your horse? Unfortunately, at most big events, the lights must stay on all night long. But there is a solution. REM Restorative Equine Mask from Expert Equine. The REM mask blocks artificial light, allowing for optimal rest and recovery. My name is Bo Whitaker. I'm a veterinarian at Brazos Valley Equine Hospital in Salado, Texas. The whole goal of the REM mask is to prevent sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation is going to lead to significant behavioral problems in horses. There are other things as far as stress goes, uh, gastric ulcers, a lot of things that can be secondary to the stress that you, you can see from sleep deprivation. So arrive at the show prepared with the revolutionary REM Restorative Equine Mask from Expert Equine. So we, we go in an arena, we prep it, we, you know, whatever you're using, you break that hard pan and, you know, we make sure to go north and south, east and west, diagonal across the arena because we want, if if you only work an arena one way up and down, you're going to create ridges underneath, you know, and so you have to go all directions and then is that when you bring in water, do you take the teeth teeth up first and work the top like what order of things for a general arena i know it can depend on so when i'm going from like i just insisted on being on the tractor with the kaiser for the rain cow horse maturity two weekends ago here at the blackhawk and i wanted to be on it for that measure because they love hard pan they (laughs) for whatever reason they love hard pan under them their box work and you can you can easily establish hard pan with about any implement but what people don't realize, there's a tire crown to every tractor that pulls any implement in the arena. And by a tire crown, I mean it's a reversed convex on that tire's compaction, especially the back tires, but the front ones as well, that compact the soil to a different level every time it goes past that ground. We have, we have a famous ridge on the backside of the first barrel that's constantly being eliminated because we we are consistent on our pattern through the barrel race on mm-hmm. Tuesday nights here. And it, it, 
I, I don't know. I wish I had the verbiage to under, to let people understand this, but it, it's something that inconsistency is the most consistent thing you can do. Okay. And I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of at a wall there. I, I wish I had the words to go against that, but. I mean, I get what you're I, saying. Like, it's not, it's not always the same thing every time. You... No, but when you, when you go in to set your ground up and you, you do that standard eight inch drag, remember when your teeth are half war at eight inches, you're only at a six and a half. So a, a true eight inch drag is with brand new teeth on it. Yeah. And that needs to factor into the fact people don't even realize that. I'm like, well, your compaction stayed the same, but your, your teeth are three fourths gone and you haven't changed them for a month so at best you're six inches deep within a tremendous hard pan in this arena way before you even got there yeah so you know randy went up to the nampa futurity this year they spent a day and a half i brought shanks to idaho that the other guy that was with randy could stop and get from me because they needed two new shanks on their widows and replaced every tooth and every bushing on those widows before they even started the ground mm-hmm. they're like you're not getting any, you're, this is why you've got hard pan. You're not getting down there. And and they figured it out and they, everything was successful. But Randy says, did it work? Yeah, it worked. Could we do better? Absolutely. But next year we'll have a game plan that is stellar and we'll be flawless on our measure of grounds where people can send them in there. Those babies, you know, the futurity babies, they don't know no better. They don't know how to protect themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, very rarely do you see an arena record set by something other than a seasoned rodeo horse. Uh, there's always a hello Stella that comes along, but nine times out of 10, it's a Wenda Johnson on, you know, something that's wicked fast on rodeo ground. That's usually what sets the standard for speed. Yeah. But damn sure not for safety. And, <laughs> and we've, I mean, we've dealt with that too. And, you know, I, I see that a lot. Like we buy different sets of teeth for each weekend we have. And, sure. you know, we might on day two, we might have to drop that drag a half inch more to get consistent yep. death because our teeth wear out. Um, yep. And so it's just another thing to think of. But when you add moisture and then you go back over it, like talk about sealing the top. Like, do you raise it, you know, three inches seal the top? And then do you yep. raise it just to kind of lightly go over it to seal the top? And I know that depends on moisture, but like talk about sealing the top and what that does for barrel horses and like the ability for them to get into the ground. So you're just that right there is a, is a perfect example. Sealing the, the, the ground is, is when you seal it, you're compressing the ground and not so, uh, working the ground is irrelevant or redundant if you will because mm-hmm. they they have a another factor you're trying to get the air out of the ground entirely even though it's got an aggregate down below that's going to shift and move when that horse runs when you seal a racetrack for example they're taking all the air out of it anytime there's air below the surface it allows water to penetrate and that's usually when they're sealing it if they're trying to keep the moisture of a rainstorm or something to come but when you seal that track you're also running some unbelievable compaction with the tractor pulling the drag and it's an underlying problem that a lot of people don't even realize is happening but that crown and compaction level from those tires on a you know, 100 horse tractor i don't know what they weigh but it's a lot more than that implement so of course your tires are a big factor in the working of that stealing the track that makes so sense that's how you work with that but you've got to have that perspective of what you're really doing stealing you know, I, I like to put my arena to bed every night uh, and and allow it to be in a neutral state for the night, turn all the fans off, close all the doors, so it's still the same or close to it in the morning. That's not always the factor, though. That is, you know, some, t- some arenas seal themselves after a good rainstorm that night, and there's nothing you can do about it, you know. And it, it's that's a, that's a touchy subject, sealing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so dependent on where you're at. Let's talk about that a little bit the air conditioners and the humidity because that is something that I've had to learn being a producer that I would have no idea goes into the ground prep because I had a weekend where we left the air conditioner on all week, totally had to change how we did the ground the next week. And then, you know, the humidity. So um, talk about that a little bit. Well, and and honestly, that's, that's a big, a big factor in that is your moisture meter. Uh, okay. When you come in the following morning and somebody did leave the door open and you've got a dry spot on the backside of the third barrel because of it, mm-hmm. you install a, a you know $2,000 wet kit on that widow 
and drive circles on that barrel alone and install, you know, two tanks of water on the third barrel and get your moisture back to where you left it the night before on your meter. Okay. That's how you fix that problem. Uh, honestly, there really isn't another way to fix it other than a feel. And, uh, you know, you just, you're just hoping and praying that you're correct on it. But every arena, every barrel race should have meters. And I can stress the fact that every arena should use one meter. Uh, we've been, I've been to other arenas that they've had three different meters and three different tractors and all three of them give you a different read. So, uh, they're, they're a very inaccurate thing unless you just use that one meter, you always know where you're going to be. Um, but it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge success or failure entirely by putting that to bed, uh, putting your ambient temperature involved or your radiant temperature in the winter nights, you've got a, so you got two heaters down the middle of the arena and you leave them on to keep it, you know, somewhat pleasant for the barrel racers that next day. But you've also got the factor that right over top of those two heaters and 20 feet away from them, there's two totally different types of ground and the consistency of the moisture. So there's all those things you need to factor into that before you go any further. So let's talk about when, when you get a big race. So say, you know, the the red rocket comes into salina and you know you okay. have all you know salina has so many big races the extreme million like whatever um yep. and when you prep now the race is started how often do you analyze the moisture how do you determine when you're going to water because i think generally people think well, if they water at to start, they have to water every 50. Like, how do you approach keeping that ground consistent through that big race? You've got to have your you've got to have that moisture meter. You've got to mm -hmm. have that level of moisture within your own realm. You've got to have that mental note of what you left it the night before. It, it's got to be a that's going to be your only factor, especially after the race has started, because you want to keep it consistent about it. And then, I mean, when you're, when you start dragging, do you change, like, when you start dragging, do you set your teeth at X amount for the every five drag? And then do yeah. you drop them for the big drag? And then kind of like, yeah. like, again, is that just how you approach it? Yeah, I, I try and like a, a drag or two before the big drag, I go out and assess my moisture. Then I'll get with the other one or two tractor guys and say, look, this is what we got to do. All three of us have got to go full rotation, full rip, all three tractors at an eight. And then we're going to set ourselves back up. You go put yours to bed and go get a burger, and you and I will stay out here at a four okay. and seal this thing back to it. And I'm going to finish dressing the arena barrel pattern only with the wet kit on just to get us back to that moisture that I might think we need, even though we're the same as we've been for the last 50 now it's 100 degrees outside, and we've got to change that factor. We've got to install more moisture for what the fans and everything are changing us ultimately. We just got done with the ruby up in South Jordan, and it scared the hell out of me because that ground's – it's good ground, but it's never been what I would call awesome ground. Mm -hmm. And their moisture meter didn't exist. When we started the event, What, what the guy there, uh, Austin, a tremendous guy, great guy, and – probably going to turn out to be a hell of a grounds guy himself, but, uh, he, he ran the moisture and he goes, that's, that's what we call good ground here. We go out and it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even bashing him because he honestly has changed things tremendously. They were seven inches deep max. And what we called good ground on moisture levels was half what they were doing there. We changed the moisture. We changed the depth of that prep and the depth of consistent works through the drags. First time the Ruby ran there, and we were just doing our best, hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. And we broke the we broke the arena record on the second day. Well, since then, that arena record had been for quite a few years, I'm, I'm told. And then Austin was the grounds guy for another race they had just recently. And they broke it again. Awesome. So you're on that path of success. But it was just, you know, thinking outside that box that's been the only box in that arena for 10 years. Uh, prep is... It's the success to every race. You, you, your prep is everything. And some people disregard that, but uh, they usually end up having average ground at best because they're not open-minded. It's nothing to do with what they're able to do. It's just they eliminate themselves from progress with in, their attitude. But 
And one thing you said that I think, you know, if you're a producer and listening to this, that was brought up to me was how you said, like, your your patterns when you work the arena are inconsistent and you kind of change it up. Um, yeah. I had a, a great gal that comes to my race and she brought it up to my attention, like, hey, your guys are working the five drag the same direction every single time. Switch yep. it up. So you can't create that ridge. So every Absolutely. other drag, they would start at different sides of the barrels. And like, we were able to really get it consistent then. And that's something that I, you know, it, this was like my eighth year putting this on. I, I never paid attention to it. Like, so. Well, you don't know. You, mm -hmm. you don't know until someone, and most of the time it's an argument that comes from the stands or somebody that hit a barrel to win the thing on their horse. And they come up and say, Hey, what, what the hell? There's that ridge. Sue Siggins come up to me. Uh, we had the Ruby at the Blackhawk. Was it two years ago? Sue Siggins comes up to me and says, Jake, you got to do something about that ridge on the second barrel. I'm like, it kind of pissed me off. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? There ain't no ridge there. Well, I go out after, after everybody leaves and, and look at it. And that's when Neil and I learned the value of scraping that shovel off the fluff wherever you have a question. And you'll see where your ridge is. You'll see where that consistent berm is on the backside of a barrel or at the corner of a team open is, is a you can see the five second mark at a, at a team open all day long. You can feel it when you go over the track or the night after, you know, the morning after. Mm -hmm. And it's because they work the ground the same every time they drug and uh, hats off to Sue to having the stones to say, Hey, you know, just be aware of this. This is, this is what's happening. You might not have seen it because you're on the tractor, but this is what I saw and felt sure enough. It was there. Yeah. So, you know, but you just got to have, you got to have a humble mind and an open mind. And, you know, I told Julie, um, you want to get more out of the grounds, guys? Do a first through third buckle in your circuit and, and get those guys a nice molly or whatever buckle on that ground award and let them know that there's people out there gunning for you to be successful. And most of the guys that are on tractors, are trying their best and, and everyone knows that. But mm -hmm. in reality, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I always say it's like being the ditch master for the irrigation company. Nobody really gives a shit what you're doing unless you screw it up. <laughs> and it's true because yeah. you don't think about it until you're done. But then sometimes you walk away shaking your head saying, damn it. I, I did my best here and it still wasn't good enough, you know? And, yeah. uh, it, it, it just takes a lot. What it's, do it's you, what do you think it like the rodeos? So like, for example, I wasn't there, but we all know Salt Lake City started, didn't go real well, stopped, redid the ground, came back and 16 sevens were run. Like what was, or what in some rodeos is the missing step in the prep that when they stop and restart it, it gets so much better. Is it generally breaking up the hard pan? Like perfect example. Okay. Perfect example, Randy Spragan. In my opinion, he's the best grounds guy in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, he's phenomenal. He's overwhelmingly educated to a huge level. He was the guy on the tractor, and he said, Jake, all I can say is I wish I was there a day earlier. Yeah. Because I fixed everything with the skid steer, and they about they about pulled me off the tractor when I come in there with the skiddy, and all these barrel racers were sitting there. Their Lasix is wearing out and all these things are <laughs> pissed. But he says, I, I have no choice. I should have been here a day prior and got rid of that pan before anybody was even in the arena. But we got rid of it, and they did run sub-17s, yep. and everybody was the victor. But he's he is not any way near excusing himself from that. He's like, I, should have, I just should have been there a day earlier. So, and just like we say, it's it's about the prep. Yeah, he could have run that 12 girls a night in the evening evening cool. Uh, you, you're going you're gonna to make some fantastic runs yeah. because your moisture isn't leaving you as fast. Things are changing, but when you have a hundred girls in slack Saturday morning and they're pissed because you got to pull everything apart, dig it down with a skid steer, and then come back home with a whole different moisture lever, you better know what the hell you're doing, or you're going to piss a lot of people off. Explain and to me the skid steer a little bit because that is one thing that I don't actually truly understand. Is it digging up the ground to like yeah, literally yeah, he went, break he, that he hard pan? He went deeper than the than the implement was allowing. Okay. And when you have to bring a skid steer in, it's because you're shoveling up a 40-foot radius around all three barrels. You're going to have to restake the arena. Make sure that's all documented so you stake it to the same pattern. And pull the stakes, go in, and plant some corn, as I say a lot. You're going to have to go deep. 
and then you're going to figure your moisture out at that 10 or 12 inch deep measure oh. and hope to pray that i mean you you got you got some pretty big you got a big situation you're trying to fix there yeah uh, you damn sure better have your a game on and uh if you had a tooth bucket on that skid steer, things would be a lot better, but most of them come with a finished bucket, so it's just a blade. You just got to go across it and upset it big time deep and then come back with your widow or whatever you're using to sustain that ground on what's not there anymore in the hard pan. Okay, because I know he then went to Cheyenne and did the same thing, and I know Cody's used skid steers as well. I just, I yep. was like, I don't, I don't actually understand what they're doing, but that makes sense, especially because yeah. some of the, like you said, if you either can't go deep enough or maybe they don't have an, you know, they only have an implement that goes six inches. Well, that's probably yep. fine if you break the hard pan to begin with. Or, or if it was never there in the first place. There's yeah. a lot of arenas that just don't have much of a hard pan because their, their majority is sand, sand. which, you know, holds no, you know, no real measure to hard pan. It's just got to move to it all the time. But you've got to have enough wisdom and experience to understand that before you upset it even worse so we know sometimes we know that like sand and water is what you want to hold it together what happens if you have a more clay arena or you're outside and you have too much moisture and then it gets slick how do you operate in a situation like that um that is probably the worst scenario to deal with i'd rather yeah. deal with about anything i think because <laughs> you know Chad Buse wanted me to go down for the, the pink buckle in Guthrie. And after talking to Randy and then he's like, you know, Jake, you, you got something that a lot of arenas don't have the advantage of is you guys up there in Utah are trying to put moisture back in all day long. You go to other, you know, down South, they're trying to keep the moisture out of the ground uh -huh. and they've got that red clay. Well, what do you, you can't just turn on the uh, heaters and bake everybody out of there. You're going to have to, the success to that right there is, a clear mother nature day with lots of sunshine and keeping that ground aerated and dry down low or turn your heaters on and keep it dry and hot and then reinstall your own level of moisture. But moisture in clay, it's a real problem. It, it's a real, like it's almost to where you just want to implement, look, we, we need to bring sand in here because gotcha. we've got too much compaction and a constant humidity level. October in Oklahoma, I'm assuming I've never been there, but the, at that time of year, I'm assuming the heat the heat is not even a factor. It's all humidity and yes. steamy, you know, mornings and just a, a crappy deal as far as, you know, what a ground guy considers success. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. And, um, you know, and it kind of probably leads to why Guthrie, you know, is generally harder and everything yeah. because yep. it, they, they do have to manage the humidity down there. Um, we talked a little bit before the, before the recording about like an outdoor arena at a rodeo and all of a sudden you see rains coming in. What can yeah. people do to try to help prepare their arena to stay good? So we, uh, we went to Ogden's rodeo. We're going to go there. They come to the Oakley uh, ground deal and, they they deal with this almost every, they said almost every other year they have a downpour at that arena that they, you know they can't control so they drag uh, panels with tires around I think or something to seal the ground as best they can so they can excavate it with a blade and have a crown to it so the water runs off the sides of the arena because the arena is so big they can't figure that into the, the equation because one night it rains the next night it doesn't have any rain at all it's a, it's a windstorm so. They, they have to upset that Mother Nature call with, you know, with prevention there. But he actually talked about bringing in the tarps to the baseball fields uh, for the arena and just have them on hand. They could drag the tarps across that arena if they have that downpour come in again. I'm like, well, you know, that's great. I know, I think it was Red Bluff a few years ago, they brought Apache helicopters in there and blew the, the water off the arena yeah. before slack. and. If you've got those advantages, great. But uh, I don't think anybody in Solana even owns a helicopter. So that ain't <laughs> going to happen here. But, uh, you know, I guess you just got to have that. The most important thing is to have some type of location drag, harrow or something. You can seal that ground and okay. just hope for the best. Because what, what, what else can you do? I mean, you don't want to run in the slop. But there's a lot of times that that's all you've got to deal with is slop. And it's because the ground was perfect and ready to run. And here comes the storm. 
Yeah. There's nothing you can do about that. I think they did that in Estes Park this year. I mean, we had so much rain, and every night they went through, they, they rolled it, they you know, yep. sealed that top so then the rain could pour, and then right before the arena they'd go in and break it up. And it, it stayed pretty dang good for as much rain as we got. Like, sure. they did sure. everything and they could. So, I mean, that was that was really impressive to see. I, I don't know if there's – I mean, there's always a factor that needs to be at least present in the fact that, hey, look at your weather forecast. If you see this thing – going to be Africa hot for two days prior to the rodeo starting. You don't want to go deep and get that ground dry down low if you know success is your moisture. Leave it alone if you can. Let them, you know, but you just got to have, you got to have an open mind with a good perspective of where you want to stay rather than where you want to be because if you're always trying to get there for tomorrow, if you forget about today, then you end up just chasing the tail and it's kind of a, that's just a, that's a hard deal. And outdoor arenas, like a, an indoor arena can make anybody look like a god. But when you start factoring in outdoor arenas and the factors that come up with them, yeah, then you really start to understand ground and its tolerances as well as your implement. And what is, you know, I think there's a lot of people that say, you know, P, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but committees, I think more now, especially in the last couple of years, but don't care about it or barrel racing ground makes it worse for other events when you get to rodeos overall i would think that if it's pretty good barrel racing ground it's good for everything else well and that's correct i mean your rainers uh i my my wife sold a horse to sarah rose and we got in contact with sarah we was you know visiting with uh tyler wags pack and mm-hmm he was talking to me about the factors in ground for doggers and I had no idea a bulldogger considered value in ground, but they do. He said nine times out of 10, when they have a major knee blowout or something in the bulldog and it was to do with the ground only, it's not how they got off or anything. It's when they went into that ground and it went backwards because it had too much texture or too much depth. It didn't give enough slide and those different things. And I'm like, wow, like, this is a bulldogger saying this. Um, yeah. Uh, Ren Richard's dad, Chad, and I are, are great friends. And he's like, Jake, we, those ropers used to laugh at the barrel racers. But now you get into the rope and futurity worlds. They want whatever the barrel racers call good ground. That's what we want in this futurity. That's what they'll tell you. Right. And, and it, you know, because they've got those babies going to the corner to be four seconds. And they come to the hard pan that didn't matter on the rodeo horse. But these little babies are overachievers at their worst day they're overachieving and if they don't have the ground to sustain that value and performance they're gonna they're gonna get screwed by the ground alone they could have drew the perfect steer that go around and still got screwed by the ground yeah um it's it's exciting to see so many people start to care and i hope that you know people listen to this and and realize that you know one there's people out there that I mean, yeah. shoot, give Jake a call. Like, how you know, he'll he'll work with you, and you know, to keep get those arenas good, and actually, what goes into the prep. Um, we could talk about this for days and hours. Oh, yeah. Um, but I won't keep you all day. But if we if we were to wrap up, I guess what is what is something as far as like attitude, the diplomacy, like people coming up to you. Like, what is one thing that you hope is like a tractor driver and a ground guru that you knew contestants would do um you know everybody Deanne Gallier after we got done with the pink or the ruby buckle of South Jordan she was the epitome of gratitude um she mailed a handwritten letter to me telling me thanks for my efforts and it's a thankless job and blah 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 which was great but it was the actual effort towards that to say hey I appreciate that and honestly I have people that I do the tractor for and they're arguing about, you know, my, a standard deal for barrel races, a buck a run. And if anyone's thinking they're going to get rich doing the tractor for a buck a run is crazy. Uh, it, it's not, it's not the money at all. Of course it's, you know, going to pay you to sit there all day and be bored out of your mind. But uh, just, just the appreciation of it, it you know, yeah. if you put it on the show, like yeah. if your ground sucks, you will lose entries the following year. You will lose that social media platform that, you know, you might only have 5,000 added to your jackpot in the middle of July, but you've got to go. Kelly Thuvenel's dad has done the ground at Tomato Days in Hooper, Utah. 
there isn't one person in Utah that would ever say anything about that ground. How much money is added? I have no idea. All yeah. I know is the ground is kick-ass, and you can run whatever horse, any time, any drag, any number out on the drag, and it's going to be good because Bob is on the on the ground, and he's calling the shots, and he understands compaction and, and that ground for a hooper. So you just there's an accreditation there that comes with just, hey, these guys are busting their ass and doing their best. If I'm going to give an opinion, I will, but they don't need to get burned down in the middle of the arena. And it, they damn sure don't need to get burned at the stake by 10 of you. <laughs> you very, know, but very valid. I don't know how, how else to say it. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Jake. I am so appreciative of your time, and I can't wait to share yep. this with everyone. I'm glad to visit with you. And, and, again, it's nothing to toot my own horn. This is literally something the circuits have gotten behind and all the way to the NFR. They're, they're understanding the importance of ground in the safety as well as success of our sport and how it's going to grow. And that's the whole reason you and I are having this conversation. So I appreciate you calling me. Amen to that. Thanks, Jake. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. We are so grateful to Jake for taking some time and giving each of us a better understanding of the care and effort that goes into making sure a competition runs smoothly and your horse leaves the event healthy. Thank you to this week's sponsor, the REM Mask from Expert Equine. Visit their website at xpertequine.com today and see what their line of products can do for you and your program. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.